0: Welcome to Life Continuing, conversations that explore consciousness, healing, and infinite existence. I'm Tanya Berg. Tammy Peterson grew up fourth of four children in a small town called Fairview, which is 350 miles north of Edmonton, Alberta in Canada. Tammy left home at 18 years old to move on her own to Montreal, Quebec. She received a Bachelor of Science in Kinesiology at the University of Ottawa in 1987. After graduation, Tammy moved back to Montreal to marry her childhood sweetheart, Canadian psychologist and author Dr. Jordan Peterson, and began to work as a physiotherapy research assistant and eventually found work as a massage therapist. She also studied art at the Ontario College of Art in Toronto. Tammy has now been married for 32 years and has two children and two grandchildren. She recently accompanied her husband on a worldwide book tour and supported the tour by making sure that everything ran like clockwork. In 2019, Tammy became seriously ill, but has since recovered. She currently spends her time with her family, practicing art, staying fit, and makes a daily effort to stay healthy. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Tammy, where she talks about God, yoga as a grounding practice, and healing through visualization, and unwavering faith. Welcome to the show, Tammy. It's so lovely to have you here.
1: Thank you, Tanya. Thank you for inviting me. It's wonderful to be here.
0: So I was watching your husband's uh, online talk one time a a while back, uh, your husband, Dr. Jordan Peterson, and he mentioned, he was talking about dreams and dreaming and some psychoanalysis around that. And then he brought up, your dreams and how they're quite highly intuitive. And of course that got my attention. So I was just wondering if you can talk a little bit about that.
1: Well, I'm very thankful to my husband because he took my dreams seriously. You know, I mean, I don't think I knew that I had intuitive dreams. I can't remember, it's been years now. I mean, I do know that now, but at the beginning I would just tell him a dream because I had a dream and they were vivid and I would say, wow, look at the dream I had. And he would say, oh, what do you think of that? And we'd go through the process and it would explain maybe a misunderstanding that we'd had the day before. And I didn't have any access to why we were having a disagreement other than my dreams. Uh, I do now I, I'm more <laughs> self-aware now, thank goodness, but still my dreams are very helpful, even now. Even now that I'm self-aware, uh, it, ta- it takes some sleep for me to come up with new ideas. But I think it does often with lots of people. It's just that I get hmm, I get an understanding from my dreams, that's all I can say. I've had lots of weird things happen in my life that I can't understand. You know, when I was a really little girl, I was about, I was this little. So I was driving with my mom and dad and I was standing on the hump in the middle of the back seat, you know, on the floor yeah. and had my hands on the back of the seats, right? But before of seat belts, so I wasn't very big. And we were driving down the highway and Maybe I was just watching very carefully, but there was a big truck in front of us and it was layered with um, plywood and they were all strapped on. And this is in Alberta where there's a lot of pulp and paper, you know, so you do see a lot of big trucks on the road with with different kinds of paper or wood. And uh, I just, I said to my dad, what would happen, dad, if the strings came loose and the wood came off the truck. And he said it would come through the windshield and cut off all our heads. And the strings came loose and the wood came off the truck. And my dad slammed on the brakes and I could smell rubber because we stopped and he was paying, he was watching, he was looking. So he saw it happen and the wood came off but it went beside the car and we stopped and and then we continued on and we didn't say anything. And I said to myself, "I'm not saying anything anymore." That was too much for me. You know, it was. I. It, it scared me. Obviously, I think it scared us all. But we never spoke about it. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow.
0: So, it happened right after you said it, or right or after, as right I after. was like,
1: <gasps> yes, you know, like immediately, immediately after I said it.
0: So you were obviously very tuned in at a young age and-
1: Well, you know, maybe I saw something coming loose, but I doubt it. I mean, it was a big truck. I couldn't really see what was going on except for there was a lot of wood and and it was strapped down. But my understanding of wood being strapped down even at that age could, must've been very, I mean, how would I even know that?
0: Sure, exactly. Right? Sure.
1: Weird. So- Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So did anything like that happen as you got a bit older um, in your adolescence, teenage years that you can think of?
1: Well, I had uh, I went skiing when I was 16, 17. My dad took us all to Sunshine uh, in the Rocky Mountains, beautiful place for Christmas. And so we were skiing the slopes and there was one slope that you came down Um, and at the bottom there would be quite a horizontal piece, and you'd have to trudge to the, you know, so you wanted to go down fast so that you could glide through all of that. And I went down with my sister. She was ahead of me. I heard her go over a rise and then scream. I came over the rise, and I saw a big rock, and it it was as big as me, you know, a round rock, and I was heading straight for it and i saw my life flash before my eyes and when i opened my eyes i was by the rock and i never i never made a move or swerved or anything i was i was so sure i was going to hit this rock that i froze right but i got by the rock i didn't go back and look to see how i just wasn't that aware you know but i saw my life go it was that long right <laughs> What second? It was that long. And I never skied for seven years after that. It just scared the living daylights out of me. But I survived that. And I don't know how. So I've had things like that happen. You know, i I have some memories. They're vague of really, really early in school of being frustrated with another kid and saying, you know, that, if they didn't quit bothering me I was really hoping that the light a light would fall on their head and a light one of those fluorescent lights fell out of the ceiling. And so I I stopped saying things that I uh thought up. Right. Well,
0: obviously you're highly connected and highly intuitive maybe from birth.
1: Yeah, I think maybe from birth. Yeah, that's what it yeah. sounds
0: like to me anyways. Now, you also mentioned that you've been doing yoga since a young age as well.
1: Mm-hmm. And my, my aunt, my mum's older sister, she was a school teacher, and her kids were the same age as me, and I was the youngest in my family. And my three siblings are five, seven, and eight years older than me. So when I was a little, I was much smaller than them, and my cousins were the same age. So I spent, we would go five hours south to where my aunt lived, and I spent my summers with them, and I spent summer holidays with them sometimes. She was my godmother. I was very close to that family. And when I was 13, I was there for the summer. We were gonna tear down the pig barn and learn yoga. And so every morning we did Hatha Yoga, and every afternoon we tore down the pig barn. And at the end she gave me a book, yoga book, and I went home with it, which was six hours, three five, six hours north. And I did yoga every day after that. I was 13 years old. And thank goodness, because it was the one very solid thing I had that would be um, a guiding light for me every day. Because I would come home sometimes. You know, I grew up in the Wild West. I grew up in, I graduated in 1979, which was at the height of alcohol and drug use in Canada. And we had a lot of oil money so there was a lot of money and a lot of drugs and a lot of crime where I grew up it wasn't like the place when I was little but when I was a teenager it was it was much wilder and so and I took part in all of that wildness that's for sure um by the time I was 12 all my siblings were gone and my mom and dad were kind of done having kids I think and so I grew up with my friends mostly And so I got into all sorts of mischief, and my dad always just said, "Don't you, you know, you come home alive every night." he had kind of that was that was my guidance, <laughs> which was not so bad because I didn't. I I was aware, you know, if I was coming home and the driver was drunk, I sat beside the driver to keep the road, keep the car on the road. Mm-hmm. You know, so my dad, his advice was. It kept us all alive. We're all very independent uh, people, and we've had good lives, all of us. And I'm sure that's about – we were given luggage when we left, and we were told to be smart. And that was about the extent of the guidance we had. Uh, Simple but wise. Simple but wise. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Simple but wise. That was my dad. He was a lot of fun, my dad. He was a very jovial – he was – probably the most well-known person in town because he was so he was always had a story he was very friendly very nice so yeah so that but i was leaving home by the time i by the time i was 12 i was sure i was leaving home i had a plan to leave and you know northern alberta the opportunities were um farming um working in a little store. Uh, Beyond that, that was, you know, it was very rural. And so we all left when we were 18. For more
0: opportunity, of course.
1: Yep. Yep. We all left. Uh, Not all my friends left, but my siblings all left. And they all went to Edmonton. But when I left, I went to Edmonton for a year, but I went to Montreal. I met a boy. He was going to Montreal to McGill, and I went with him. Wow. Oh, it was exciting. (laughs) It was exciting to get there and to see Canada in its uh, very old state compared to Alberta, which was more of a frontier place, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, I continued to do yoga every day for years and years. And then I married my husband, or I was at least in Montreal again after my degree Uh, I met, I met him when I was eight years old, right? He grew up beside me.
0: That's so sweet. I I just think that's a beautiful story.
1: It seemed inevitable. You know, it just was, it, it probably wasn't something that I wanted to do, but it was obvious that that was what I was doing. You know, it was, I would come home at Christmas and within an hour, he would knock on the door and say, hello. Even if I hadn't been there in two years he would be home up the street to his family and so I always knew I'd go home and I'd think George's gonna be here soon and he would be he would be there and so I went off to university I went to university in Ottawa he was in Montreal and he phoned me one really late night when I was almost done my degree he said he'd seen Jane Sibri sing do you remember Jane yes S- yes and and uh, he looked at her. He'd gone to see her and he said that she reminded him of me. Oh, and so he called me. And I went to see him and I thought, mm, he looks marryable. He's getting his PhD. <laughs> uh, he looks like he's getting his act together. I think that I'll, that's what I'll do. And so I was learning massage therapy at the end of my degree in kinesiology because I I wanted to really be close to people I had a feeling that I wanted to touch them and I did spend 30 years being a massage therapist and touching people and you know doing good work but um, I went on a, to a conference with my husband and at the conference it was a behavioral medicine conference there was a doctor there who was he was an anesthesiologist but He was a kundalini yoga teacher. And so at five in the morning, I got up at this conference and went and did kundalini yoga every morning. And then I took his little cassette tape home and I did it every day. And I was 26. I had my kids at 30 and 32. I was still doing it every day. And it was just this one. I just learned one or two. uh, I learned kind of a complicated meditation. For waking up in the morning and getting your, um, your, getting straight with yourself about what was important for the day. So it was very good for me. And I did that every day. And, you know, when I was, uh, when I had little kids and they were born less than two years apart. So I had two kids very close together and I was sleep deprived a lot. I would get up in the morning and do yoga and I could get through the day without falling apart. And it was because of the yoga I was doing, you know, so yoga for me has been central in my life. Um, I did a lot of yoga during our pandemic, you know, online. And I found a great yoga teacher who was more traditional, you know, it was a lot of spirituality in it, and a lot of colors and introspection and healing in that way. And that's really what I resonated with too, was I was looking to for insight. I was looking for insight. I was looking for to get stronger, but mostly I'm always looking for insight. Sure. And so uh, I've also been in touch with my spiritual side through yoga deeply. Now, then I became ill and I had cancer. And I was on a book tour with my husband at the time. And they told me that it was a cancer that was uh, renal cell carcinoma and that lots of people get it and it doesn't kill anyone and it grows very slowly. And then I didn't really have to worry about having surgery anytime soon. So I finished the book tour with him, but right when the book tour was done, I had surgery. And I probably put it off. We probably we went to Australia for a, not a very long tour, a, sh- a shorter tour. And I probably would have had the surgery before Australia, but they told me it wasn't very serious. So I did wait, you know, a couple of months sure. and only had it out. So, that, so I had a partial uh, nephrectomy. I had one of my kidneys partially taken out. I recovered for six weeks. That was good. And then I went to my post-op and they had done a biopsy and found out that it, that wasn't actually what it was. It was a Bellini tumor, which is a tumor that kills people and it kills them so quickly that they don't have any research on it because they have no science uh, to know how to treat it. So I didn't just go to Toronto. I went to MD Anderson in Houston and I went to uh, San Francisco Hospital Um, And I talked to specialists, oncologists there, and they said, there's nothing we can do about this. It's deadly. And so the best thing you can do is go have surgery and hope for the best. And so that really shook us to the core. And um, the night before the surgery, we were so uh, scared that we were sitting watching TV and something like, you know, very simple. And I thought, neither of us are here. We, we are both terrified. And I thought, well, you know, when I was in my 20s, I had a surgery on an ovary, and I was learning massage therapy, and I learned it from a fellow who was an artist-type guy. Uh, he was just giving me 10 lessons in yoga, 10 lessons in massage, and then I was going to become a massage therapist. I hadn't gone to massage school yet at that point, but I thought I'd just learn from him. And I had to go to the hospital and have something out. And he said that he was going to help me to, mm, he just thought that this thing that he was doing would, would be helpful in my journey through my ovary trouble, which they told me might be cancer. Right. So, um, I did quite a deep meditation. It was about a two hour meditation with him. So before the night before my surgery for this, uh, terminal cancer i said i think we better do this yoga that i learned it's going to take about 2 hours and it was probably almost midnight at that time and i said so make yourself comfortable because otherwise we're not going to sleep anyway you know i didn't know if we were going to sleep at all and so he got to the bottom he got to my feet and he moved his hands kind of in a arc way up and down the arch of my foot and this is in reflexology this would be the birth canal and so he was taking me back he was in a very, so he's taking me back to some time when I would have been um, just beginning and and pure and with God because we I, I believe we're with God completely until we come out into the world and then our mission is to get back to God in the end. Well, the whole time we're alive, right? So anyway, besides that, so I, I would sit and he said, you know, bring in white light, take the white light down to your ovary and find out what's wrong there and so this day I thought okay I'm going to bring white light down to my kidney I'm going to see what's wrong there and I thought no this is cancer I'm going to bring gold light I'm going to bring gold light in and I had had lots of prayers because I had gone on this book tour with my husband I got to know lots of people and we went to 150 places I think like a lot of places right and it worked daily And I was the person. I was the point man. I made sure every day went well. So, and every day did go well. It was a perfect, perfect tour. All these many, many people sent me prayers. So I, so I took all these prayers and I lined all the people up on a beach in my mind. And I breathed in all their prayers. I breathed in all their prayers and I sent them down to my kidney. And over two hours of time. So I contacted my, my cancer and what it looked like was cells that had turned the other way like a black hole. Yeah, so it looked like a black hole to me. It looked like that's what cancer is. It's cells that are, have turned away from us. They don't have our good intention of staying alive anymore. They've turned away.
0: That's an interesting perspective.
1: It was an interesting, and it was in a meditation, right? So I wasn't yeah. thinking this up. This is oh, what I was receiving. Receiving. Yeah. I was receiving. Mm-hmm. And I thought this, you know, this, a black hole is much too big for one person to deal with. Yeah. That's something that you have to give that everyone has to have. So I thought I need to give this back to the universe. Yes. And I saw black smoke, you know, in my mind, I saw black smoke come out of me to go back up to the universe. And I said, Okay. George, we can go to bed. I'm done. And I went to sleep and we slept beautifully. We got up in the morning. There was no tension in the house. My uh, husband's sister was there and she said it was so peaceful in the morning to get up. I went to the hospital. I told the surgery team what I'd done. They went into surgery with that intention. And they said that, my kidney wasn't It wasn't adhered to anything like there wasn't any necrosis anywhere. They just pulled my kidney and all my lymph because it had gone into my lymph glands and took all my lymph, but nothing, you know, my spleen, everything was separate. It came out perfectly. They said everything was fine. And I've had, so it's been two years and I've had scans every three, four months, right? It's nothing. It's gone. Completely gone that's it was supposed to be a dead in 11 months
0: yeah that's unbelievable, unbelievable. it was unbelievable
1: I had a terrible um, abdominal leak after that oh right so they mm. took out all my lymph and you can imagine I saw it on many scans it looks like bobby pins tying all of my lymph together on that side because there it's just one big uh, vessel. There aren't, you know, there aren't uh, stops in, along the way like there are in blood vessels. You know, there's not, there's no stops in there. So it was just leaking all my bodily fluids through somewhere that hadn't been trapped, that hadn't been tied off. And they couldn't find the leak. Hmm. So I was in the hospital eventually for, well, I was in the hospital two times, once for five weeks. They just put me in a nice sunny room. I thought that's not a good sign they put me in a private room a nice sunny room that's what they do with people they don't know what to do with you know eventually you you're just there because they don't know what to do with you I mean they balance my electrolytes my electrolytes I was leaking so much that my potassium had gone uh, out of whack and I was gonna have a heart attack and that's when they brought me in and put me in ICU and Pumped me back full of electrolytes, and my albumin was tanked, so they were giving me transfusions of albumin, uh, and eventually my brain turned back on when they gave me a TPN diet, so a diet that goes straight into your heart. Okay, mm-hmm. and then I was awake again. That took that was about three days after they gave me the nutrition, and I thought, oh, okay, <laughs> I'm in the hospital, you know, and I'm. Yeah. I'm awake, I was delirious practically, you know, I wasn't delirious, I can remember, but I was just too, I didn't have enough uh, oxygen, I don't think, to my brain. And then this girl friend of ours, she's not girlfriend, she's just an acquaintance who was a fan of Jordan's and had hoped that Jordan would help her in her quest to make sure that education system was good for families. Like she had good, she's good Catholic, woman yeah she came to the hospital with a rosary for me and said do you want to pray the rosary and i'm not catholic you know but i said sure i'll pray the rosary so we went down and she came to the hospital every morning for five weeks and prayed the rosary with me and i it, two hours a day i would sit down with her and i would tell her my story and i'd cry cried and cried and cried told her my life story and uh I told George that I was going to get better, I would be better on our anniversary, which was August 19th. And finally, the people in Canada spoke to the people in Pennsylvania. There's a doctor there who does, um, he does work on the lymph system, and they have MRI guided surgery. They don't have that in Canada. So I got sent down to Pennsylvania. And before I was sent down there, uh, this woman, her name is Queenie Yu, her uh, her priest, that they both live in U of T housing, and they have um, residences for Catholic kids.
0: This is the University of Toronto? Yep. It is the University yep. of
1: Toronto. And so Father Eric came and blessed me before I left. And he gave me the um, uh, St. Saint, Saint Jose Maria novena for the ill. And he told me to pray this novena for nine days. And I told my family, look, I'm probably not gonna die. So this is good. <laughs> this is good. I might end up, they said I might end up with a tube from my stomach to my heart if they couldn't find the leak, but he was sure he'd find the leak. So I got down there and I went through the surgery. It was fascinating and I came out of it and he was like, we can't find the leak. And I was like, well, I'll pray. So I, I continued to pray every day and I had great faith by this time. Really? I did. I had great faith. I was peaceful. I, um. I knew that God had me. Whatever was going to happen was going to happen because he was in control. I wasn't in control anymore, which is really my greatest lesson from all of this, Mm -hmm. was that we're not in control, that God is in control. And I didn't know that before my cancer. Anyway, we were down there for five days, and they didn't find the leak. And so they said, well, we're not going to give up on you. We'll do more and more invasive things. So the first thing they did was they just put tiny little, they put poppy seed oil and dye, and they poked around and tried to find the leak, but they couldn't find the leak.
0: What's the poppy seed oil for? The
1: poppy seed oil carries the dye. Oh. Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> I know. You know, You know. we think of medicine as this very uh, scientific thing. Mm-hmm. But poppy seed oil? I know. Natural, yes. Natural. Yeah, so there is some of that still in our system. Yes. But these guys who work in um, the lymph system, they are magicians, these guys, because lymph is like a spider web inside you. Mm -hmm. It is nothing. It's not a blood vessel. It's like a spider web. And if you've ever seen a spider web, they're made of nothing. And here they were going looking, looking for somewhere in there. Where, and they were hoping that they inject the dye. They would be a plume. They could see it on the screen. Okay. But they couldn't see it. So I was in my bed and I could go outside and have, and I was starting to eat. And the only thing I could eat was no fat. So I was eating no fat things. And, uh, I hadn't eaten in like five weeks. The first thing I had was an orange and some eggs at the hospital, and they were the best thing I've ever eaten for <laughs> one thing, <right? laughs> oh, I have pictures of myself smiling in my bedroom. I was so cold, right, because I had no body fat. I had gone down to a skeletal frame. I took pictures of it. I lost my breasts, my bottom, uh, my uh shoulder blades stuck out on my back. All my ribs were showing my cheeks were gone. Like I was just down to the basic being alive, just basically being alive. Uh, It was quite a harrowing experience, but my faith, my faith was holding me really in a good place. And, uh, they told me that now and then the poppy seed oil will irritate the system. And sometimes they'll, they'll close. Sometimes these leaks will close.
0: Oh, all like with the help of the poppy seed oil,
1: all on their own. All and their so own. after five days of praying, we looked at the, I had a little bag, right? That looked like a urine bag. Mm-hmm. That would be just your body fluids. And uh, if you eat some fat and it comes out in the body bag, that means you still have a leak in your lymph system. If it's clear, then it means it's just body fluid. And so they told me, you know, you're going to have to eat some fat because otherwise we don't know whether we have to do surgery on Monday again. This was Thursday, I think. And so I I thought, what the heck, I might as well eat some fat. So let's eat some fat. So I ate some eggs with the yolks and everything and The next day, they didn't know I'd eaten anything. The next day, the doctor and nurse came, and they said, you know, you're going to have to eat some fat. We have to find out. I said, well, I ate some last night. Oh, they said, well, that surprises us. Okay, so let's see the bag. So I pulled the bag up, and there's no fat in the bag. And they said, oh, my God, you're better. You've healed on your own. And you know what day it was? It was my anniversary that day are you kidding oh my I'm gosh kidding. I'm not kidding. <laughs> it was my anniversary
0: what a yeah. miracle
1: what a miracle yeah that's what Queenie said that's a miracle Tammy she said
0: wow oh my gosh I'm getting goosebumps
1: uh-huh so I don't know I don't know that's how it went and so I just went in they pulled out all the plugs and in half an hour I was out of the hospital and over a month or so, I began to gain some weight and get my strength back, mm-hmm. and they would call me, uh, I think they called me a couple times a week for a month, and then at the end of the month, they said, "You're discharged. you're better." Your
0: faith in God, your faith in the healing process stayed, right? That was stayed unwavering
1: yeah. unwavering, unwavering. And you know. My my, the priest who blessed me, he told me, you know, you pray on gratitude, and it's it's really gratitude that will sustain you through through something like that. Yes. If you can manage it, right? If you can manage it. Uh, I'm very grateful for my faith. I'm very grateful to Queenie who taught me the Rosary because it gave me something that I could do every day, and I continue to do it every day. Well, not every day. Sometimes life gets in the way and uh, I don't get it done, but it is my practice to pray and then to do about 15 minutes of mindful meditation in the morning, every morning to set my, uh, to get me. You know, I don't always do my kundalini yoga. I'm going to start doing it again. Like my life is just coming back to a more normal, And it's not even that normal. I mean, I've been here with my husband now since December, and he's been suffering like I've never seen anybody suffer for so many years. I mean, for so many months. Well, it's been years. It's been a couple of years. But he seems to be getting better. Time. He does. He does. And uh, my faith has been sustaining for him.
0: I know that he says that he watches you and learns from you and he watches what you're doing with regards to your spirituality and your faith.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he did. He does. He still does. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's so interesting, too, because you seem to uh, pull from all different traditions. You have a very eclectic mix of faith and practice from yoga, Mm -hmm. kundalini, meditation, Catholicism. And you're you're bringing it all together, and some people feel a little more aligned with one path, but you're pulling from many paths. Do you think it's necessary to have one path or many paths? Do you think it just all leads to the same place?
1: I think whatever works for you will you know will work, uh, but you have to be you have to be devoted. Right. For this to be like this. I mean, this is a this is a 24-hour every day giving myself to God uh regime <laughs> that I'm right. in now. You know, but the rosary is very interesting because I've done so much work in yoga and meditation. The rosary is with the breath, you know. The rosary, the the chanting of the rosary is with the breath. And that's part of its it's the breath really where God is, you know, God is in the breath. He's between the words as, uh, Eckhart Tolle says, he's between the words, which I wondered what the heck is that guy talking about? But now (laughs) I understand it's, it is between the words. It's in the breath that you can, uh, hear God if you're, if you want to listen. Yes. And so in the rosary, although you are chanting, um, after the Rosary you have to have that meditation because you have to listen to God afterwards so that you can spend your day and notice the miracles because they come all day. Yes, the spirit, the, the, the miracles just continue all day. And uh, and I have lessons every day, you know, I, like I ask God in the morning, what do you have for me?" and, and right away sometimes, I'm given a challenge. And I think, oh, okay, that's what I have to do. <laughs> All right, thank you, God. You know. <laughs>
0: so, how does it come to you? Uh, is it a visual? Is it more just words, uh, thoughts? How does it reach you? It
1: comes to me in with my interaction with other people. Oh, okay. Those are that there. That's where the miracles come from, or my interactions in my daily life. Do people reflect
0: to you? What you need to work on, that kind of idea? Yes, exactly. Mm. Like a mirror. Yes. Yeah. yeah,
1: well, God presents people to us that we probably find frustrating. But in that frustration is a, a jewel right? In of learning, right?
0: I love that. Mm-hmm. I love how you said that.
1: It, it is. I'm sure of it now because it happens to me all the time synchronicities I think
0: that's synchronicities exactly what people call that and the signs are everywhere every day And the
1: signs are everywhere but if you are paying too much attention to being the person in control you won't see them you won't see them
0: I had questions sometimes if the signs are only you know there's only half of them available, that only some of them mean something. But then the more I talk to people, and then the more I try to pay attention, I do see they're in everything, like you just said. They really are. And yes, we have to get out of our own way. So it's stepping aside from the analytical thinking Mm -hmm. and just be the receiver.
1: Yeah, and it's very interesting because I married a scientist, right? Yes. I married somebody who is very, thorough in his thoughts. Mm -hmm. Right? Yes. I mean, he's very open minded as well, but he's very thorough in his thoughts. And I've never been like that. I'm very intuitive. And so I get all my learning from organizing my intention. Other things have happened to me too. You know, I've been an artist. For a long time.
0: Yes, I wanted to know more about that as well. Yeah. So
1: when we went to Harvard, George went to work at Harvard, uh, some, uh, the wives, or the, not the wives, the wives and the husbands, the spouses of of Harvard professors were um, opening an art exhibit. And they called me and wanted to know if I wanted to be, you know, take part in the art exhibit. And I looked around the room, and I said, there was nobody there. And I said, yeah, I'm an artist. I had never, you know, and I was probably 33 before I really admitted that to anyone. And if you talk to artists, lots of artists don't admit they're artists. It's a, it's such a burden to be an artist. It's, it's a gift, but it's a burden because it's really difficult. Being an artist is, I mean, it's joyful. When I'm, involved in life drawing or if i'm involved in learning a new technique in painting uh, it's exciting but it's exhausting and in order to go out say and set up your easel and look at the landscape and see what's there and and then have the tools to put it on paper man that's a big and undertaking Mm -hmm. um And I was blocked from doing all of that for quite a long time. My self-talk wasn't wasn't conducive to getting a lot done in my artwork. And with paying attention to my self-talk, one day I was walking by my desk that I'd set up so that I had a place to do art. And I heard this little voice say no when when I was going towards my desk. And I went to and I said, oh, I said, I heard a little voice in my head and it said no when I wanted to sit down and do art. He said, oh, that's very interesting. I said, yeah, isn't it? What is that no that's there? And then I thought back to my childhood and I thought, you know, well, my mom and dad were self-made people. My dad made a million dollars, you know, I mean, he, he, was a, he didn't go to university. He started his own business. Uh, my mom never went to university. She worked as a bookkeeper, but they did very well and they wanted us to do very well in a practical way. They couldn't understand that I wasn't that kind of person
0: right
1: and so there was a real disconnect and to be it's not that they you know when I share with them who I am now, that's fine with them, you know, but they didn't know how to nurture somebody like that and so uh, there was a voice in my head that was My parents says no this is not worthwhile you know to do something worthwhile is to do something practical for your family practical for society practice it's all practical practical and so i talked that through with jordan and we made an agreement that when i said that i was going down to do a zoom class or to work on my art that he would Or if I got up in the morning, he would say, is there something important you have to do today? And I would say, yes. He couldn't say, are you going to do some art? Because that would uh, not sit well with me because I have, I'm very independent. And I have this thing that I have to do that's self-guided. And so it's very difficult to take guidance from someone else when you're doing something self-guided. But we were good. We negotiated that he would just say, is there something you have to do that's important today? And I would say, yes. And I have been doing so much art. I got rid of all my hesitation and all my excuses and anything that was in my way. And it was a lot of self-reflection that brought that about. It was a lot of self-reflection on where my block, where my character blocks, where things were, where I was hiding, how I was hiding or how, where I was not courage, being courageous enough. So, uh, and a lot of this is, you know, you can find in 12-step programs, you can find it. uh, And I think it's a very worthwhile um, exercise for people if they do have relationship troubles or they do have relation or they do have a relationship trouble with themselves that this kind of learning and devotion to yourself is necessary and then it spreads to your loved ones and to society
0: it reminds me of the quote that says something to the effect of if you want to change the world change yourself or heal the yeah. world oh, heal that's yourself. So true. inner work that,
1: yeah, yeah that's the only way yeah, it's the only way, and it's way more profound that way. I mean, you can do things other ways, but it's not profound, right? Like it is this way. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you know, and as I as I listen, I find out so many of the great people we know have gone through twelve step programs. Anthony Hopkins is is a uh, a person who publicly admits that he's gone through a twelve step program. But these are spiritual programs, you know. There's nothing to be afraid of going through them, except for deep analysis of who you are. Yes. That's, that's the only fear. You know, a pe- they have a stigma because it has been, these 12-step programs have come from alcoholism, but um, this was a spiritual program that has done so much to help all kinds of people. They can help anyone. It's if you're if you're looking for uh, to be a better person. Uh, a twelve step program is a, is a great way to do it because of the self reflection in it, and uh, there's a lot to it besides that. But the self reflection is something that you don't get in many many in in therapy so much or in uh, religion even so much.
0: You have so much wisdom, and I'm so grateful that you've been sharing these things publicly um, because I know that people listening, everyone can take something from it and really grow and learn. I hope so. We all have stories, whether yes. they're, we all have great stories really about our lives and what we've learned. Um, so yeah, I'm just in total gratitude that, that you've shared all of this. Um, you've really opened your heart and shared some very uh, private moments. Um, Well,
1: thanks for the invitation. You know, when I was on the operating table, I prayed to God and I said, God, if I live, I'll share. And I never used to, you know, I was a very quiet person. I went through my husband's tour for two years, wondering what I was doing there. Um, I, I made it go well, but I thought there's something else. What is that? There's something else. And now I know what it is. It's to share with people, that's what it is.
0: And that was your deal with God?
1: It's my deal with God, yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm very, very grateful. Tammy, it's been a lovely conversation.
1: Thank you for having me on and, and letting me share my story. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for listening to Life Continuing and a special thanks to Tammy Peterson. The advisor to the show is Amanda Capito. The music for this podcast was composed by Richard Farron. I'm your host, Tanya Berg. Make sure to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts and follow on Instagram at Life Continuing Podcast. And do join me next time where we'll continue this conversation about life continuing.